0: Welcome to the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that short sentence, and I'm awfully glad to uh, invite a brand new guest to the show today. But I also want to start with something that I, I just want to remind us all of, which comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's always what I want every day when you listen to the show, that you will know him better. And I think this is going to be a great hour of discussion. Um, Dr. Leighton Flowers uh, grew up with Calvinism in his heart, and he was a a person that held a very strong position on Calvinism. And I know election is a very huge topic uh, because it comes up all the time. And uh, Dr. Flowers uh, is heard... A.W. Tozer and C.S. Lewis, two men he greatly respected who did not affirm the position, and it got him on a journey. And we're going to hear about his journey today. But very glad to have him on. He's the director of evangelism and apologetics for Texas Baptists. He was appointed to that in 2018. And in addition to preaching on a wide range of of biblical subjects, Slayton uh, regularly travels all over to conduct seminars and uh, specialize on evangelism and apologetics. So um, you may not... Always agree with what he says today, which is fine. I assume that'll be be the case with some of you. But I know he will present his case with uh, clarity, and he'll do it confidently. Leighton, welcome. Thank you
1: very much. Glad to be
0: here, Bill. Yeah. So, uh, you know, take us on your journey. Election is a huge topic, and Calvinism is a a very strong position, as is Arminianism. And people are, uh, I think, not always fully understanding what it means.
1: Yeah. Um, actually, I, I grew up, uh, my dad is a minister, and I grew up in a very, very Christian home, but I, I was taught just the basic kind of whosoever will kind of theology uh, in my you know home church growing up and was never really introduced to the doctrines of predestination or election, at least as far as I can remember, in my Sunday school classes and those kinds of things growing up. And so it wasn't until I went off to college that I was uh, mentored by a Calvinistic pastor who is still a good friend of mine, by the way. I, I I don't throw. I'm not one of those mean people that throw Calvinists out of the Kingdom <laughs> or can't get along with Calvinists. Mm-hmm. Um, Calvinists are my friends, uh, and I have family members and good friends who are who are Calvinistic or at least Calvinistic leaning. And so I I, I understand there are some obviously some differences in the way we understand and, and interpret Scripture, but at the same time, um, we can still love and, and respect one another. And so. Uh, I was introduced to John MacArthur, who is a five-point Calvinist, and uh, his teachings through uh, his book that I read, and then, then later listening to podcasts and other things. Uh, back in the day, it was uh, cassette tapes that we listened from Ligonier Ministries with R.C. Sproul and, and many other Calvinistic uh, influencers like John Piper and others mm-hmm. that I just soaked in and became a card-carrying five-point Calvinist for a good uh, 10 years of my life, mm-hmm. um, and really kind of adopted the whole way of thinking. Um, until, like you said, I, I started reading some people outside of my echo chamber of Calvinism and really begin to get challenged by that way of thinking and just tried to uh, begin to vet what Calvinists believe versus what scholars from the other side believe. Um, and eventually, over about three years of study, I, I ended up uh, abandoning Calvinism and, uh, and adopting what, what I call provisionism, which is really not an ism. It shouldn't be at least. It's, it's really just God provides for everyone. Uh, yes, we're all sinners, but God provides for all sinners. And therefore, if anyone perishes, it's because they refuse to love the truth so as to be saved, not because God didn't choose them, or because God didn't elect them, or because God didn't really want them. Um, I believe now very wholeheartedly that God has provided the means of atonement, the means of salvation for every single man, woman, boy, and girl. And I think that's an important soteriological perspective, which is just uh, a big word for the doctrine of salvation. And I believe that in order to understand uh, our salvation, we need to understand first and foremost that God genuinely loves all people and genuinely wants all people to be saved.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Layton Flowers is my guest, and we're talking about Calvinism today, and so this is going to be uh, an hour where if you have a question for Dr. Flowers, you can certainly text it over to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, Has always struggled with this idea that a baby taking his first breath in life uh, because that baby is not elected is destined for hell. That's Mm -hmm. a struggle. So, what would you say to that?
1: I just don't believe that it's true based upon what the Bible teaches about God's love and his desire and longing for all to be saved. Uh, I, I understand that that some people believe that God has chosen some people uh, before the foundation of the world for salvation and that He's going to, by effectual or irresistible means, bring those elect people into faith and into uh, uh, His grace. Um, but I just don't believe that that's supported in the pages of Scripture. Now, I'm fully aware and written books and have a podcast and a broadcast on the subject as to how the verses that are often used by Calvinists to uh, to teach this. Um, I, I understand that those verses are there. Yes, I, I'm aware of Romans 9. Yes, I'm aware of Ephesians chapter 1. Mm-hmm. But I, I truly do believe that if we understand those in the proper context, we don't need to walk away with a Calvinistic interpretation. In fact, the first 400 years of the Christian church, <laughs> no scholar in the first 400 years uh, prior to Augustine interpreted those texts uh, in a Calvinistic way. and And I think that's important for us to understand that in that century, Uh, In that, uh, you know, context, people did not think in those terms and think in that more predestinarian or fatalistic way. And that was introduced later. And I I think that if you uh, begin to understand the Jewish context of the the first century writings, uh, Calvinism begins not to make a whole lot of sense, really, Mm -hmm. uh, in my estimation.
0: Yeah. Dr. Leighton Flowers is my guest, and I'll probably say his name often just because it's a fun name to say. Uh, (laughs) It's an awesome name, by the way. Thank, Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, But when I look at Ephesians chapter 1, and I memorized Ephesians uh, chapter 1, and when you read, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I could go on because it's memorized, but uh, it certainly sounds pretty loud and clear that there are some that are chosen and some that aren't.
1: Well, I, I would just say, you know, start in verse 1, and remember that he's talking about the saints who are in Ephesus, and so he's actually preaching to an audience, the faithful right. in Christ Jesus. Right. So, you know, the term in him, in fact, is used over a dozen times there in that first chapter. It's actually one really long run-on sentence. And, uh, and so what Paul, in my estimation, is saying is not that he chose certain people arbitrarily to make them into believers, but what he's saying is that he chose us in Christ, The believers in Christ. He's chosen the faithful in Christ to be made holy and blameless is what it says. It doesn't say he chose certain people to be made into believers so that they would be holy and blameless, which is what the Calvinistic interpretation entails. What it says is before the foundation of the world, God chose that whoever is in Christ by grace through faith, that whether you're male or female, slave or free, uh, it doesn't matter where you come from, God, from the foundation of the world, from the very beginning, has chosen that whoever's in Christ through faith will be made holy and blameless, you'll be conformed into the image of his Son. That's what you're predestined to. Mm-hmm. So predestination is about God destining beforehand what will happen to a certain group of people. So who is predestined? Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. To what are they predestined? To be made holy and blameless. Nothing here is said about God arbitrarily picking certain individuals before they're they're even created and ultimately making them for heaven or hell. Uh, that's just not in the mind of Paul mm-hmm. nor any of the first century authors, that, uh, as far as I can tell.
0: Blayden, that is so interesting. Um, yeah, this is amazing. Okay, let's take a verse like uh, 2 Timothy 2.26 that we're, and 2.25, where he says, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Why would mm-hmm. I have to be gentle with someone who is uh, not elected, who... Is never going to make a decision because they can't.
1: Right, and and some Calvinists, interestingly enough, I, I did a broadcast uh, on my on my uh, podcast called "Soteriology 101, uh, which you could find on YouTube. And I and I confront John Piper, who again I have a lot of respect for, but he actually uses that passage to teach that God grants some people repentance and not others, uh, supporting the doctrine of election or uh, you know Calvinistic uh, predestination. And I just push back by saying, you know, the the way in which you treat somebody uh, does impact how they respond to the message. Mm-hmm. And if this unilateral working of God that irresistibly causes people to either come to faith or not was truly being employed by God, then what does it matter how rude or <laughs> right. Uh, right. You know, unkind you are? Right. It wouldn't. It wouldn't really. Why matter. would it matter? Yeah, and and exactly. So the the reason that Paul is teaching Timothy and his readers to be kind and gracious is because it will it will help them to hear the gospel so that they may receive it. Um, it also says, for example, in Acts 18, that God has granted repentance even to the Gentiles. Now, that doesn't mean he's effectually causing the Gentiles to repent. It means that he's bringing them the message of repentance. The gospel comes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, thus granting them, enabling them to come. You can't come in if you don't have an invitation. Uh, you have to be invited to come to the party. And so, yes, the, the invitation goes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, thus granting or enabling them. What the Calvinists mistakenly does, and I, I made the same mistake, is they, they interpret those words with a, kind of a, an irresistibility or an effectuality, that if God grants it, therefore it must be an effectual cause, like he's somehow causing them to come or causing them to repent. And that's just not supported by the, the original language or by the context. Uh, God grants my next breath, but I'm responsible for how I use my next breath. Um, God grants me the ability to speak, but I'm responsible for the words that I speak. Um, So yes, God grants us many things. Many gifts come from God. All good things come from God, and we want to give God all the credit for that. But at the same time, we're still responsible for how we use the gifts that God gives. And I think what Calvinists have done is mistakenly you know, interpreted the Bible to say, well, if God's really going to get all the glory for the gifts he gives, he has to somehow effectually or irresistibly cause people to use them appropriately. And that's not true in any other walk of life, and it's certainly not true, at least as far as I can tell, in the pages of Scripture. Mm-hmm.
0: Dr. Layton Flowers is my guest. We're talking about Calvinism today, and we're going to continue this conversation. If you have a question or a comment you'd like to make, text it over, eight seven seven nine three three two four. 933 Again, 877-933-2484. And you can learn more about uh, Dr. Flowers at uh, soteriology101.com. S-O-T-E-R-I-O-L-O-G-Y-101.com. We want to pray for you. We all need prayer. We would love to pray for you. The Faith Radio team is serious about prayer, and we pray for specific listener requests every week. Share your prayer requests with us anonymously and securely on our website at myfaithradio.com. to the show. So glad to have Dr. Layton Flowers as my guest. And this hour is about Calvinism and his journey through it. And it's not an hour where you're tr- going to be persuaded to leave your position on Calvinism. But I know you will enjoy hearing uh, Dr. Flowers share his journey. So uh, Leighton, a question just uh, came in. This is the question that caused me as an adult to begin to identify as a Calvinist, why am I saved and my neighbors not? Isn't it only the grace of God that caused me to respond to his offer of salvation while my neighbor did not? If the answer is anything else, it seems that salvation has to do with something of my own merit, something within me that was better or wiser or more privileged.
1: Yeah, I I used to think the same way. Um, In fact, that was one of the biggest arguments that I used to help convert a lot of people into Calvinism during the times that the 10 years that I was a Calvinist, and it would go something like this, you know, uh, you know, are you better than your neighbor? Because you accepted Christ and your neighbor didn't. So it must ma- mean you're a better person. Um, and the truth of the matter is that's, that's not true, because anyone can accept Christ on provisionism. Uh, on, on our view, um, anyone has the ability to accept or reject the gospel because it is made abundantly clear. So to ask the question, why did you do it and not your friend?, it's, it's question begging because it assumes a deterministic answer is required, because ultimately what the Calvinist is doing is what determined for you to make your choice as if something other than you determined that choice. The cause of a, cho- a choice is the chooser. It's almost like asking, why did God create? Well, we don't know all the reasons that God may have for creating, uh, but we, 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 we can state reasons, but he's the determiner. Um, just like I can state reasons, like well, my parents discipled me and brought me up in the ways of the Lord, and I can say that it made sense to me, and I can give you lots of reasons. But reasons aren't determinative; they, they, they don't cause our decision. We are the cause of our decisions, and so you can't assume that something other than yourself determined your decision. That's the very basis of human responsibility. You're responsible for your choices because you're actually able to respond. And if you can't respond otherwise, then on what basis are you held responsible? In other words, if you're born in a condition where you can only reject the gospel, then on what basis are you blameworthy for rejecting the gospel? And so this this concept and idea has been debated, obviously, throughout history, and it can get very complex and philosophical. And so I just would encourage your listeners to not just go to the surface level arguments, but really dive in deeper to understand the best arguments from both sides. In my book called The Potter's Promise, I actually have an appendix that's titled the, the Number One Argument Used by Calvinists. And that's, very, that's the very argument that, uh, that your listener is referring to there. And it's also on my website there at sociology101.com that you can go further and read a little bit more in depth of the different passages that I quote from, explaining that really it's Calvinism that you have to be made into a better person uh, via regeneration. Mm-hmm. In other words, Calvinists believe you have to be reborn in order to believe. So you have to be literally ontologically changed into a better human being in order to believe the gospel. Well, we don't believe that. We believe that you're you're made in the image of God, that you have the ability to deliberate and make choices, to accept or reject the truth that's being uh, proffered through the gospel. And therefore, when you reject it, it's actually your fault. You, you could have done otherwise. Whereas the Calvinist ultimately has to say, everyone is born in a condition where they will always hate and reject the gospel because of a nature they were born with, by sovereign decree, by God's decision. And therefore, it's really difficult to blame somebody for rejecting the gospel if they they couldn't have done otherwise Mm -hmm. because of a a sovereign divine decree.
0: Mm -hmm. Dr. Leighton Flowers is my guest. Leighton, when I think of Jesus speaking in parables because he wanted uh, to illuminate and help some understand and others uh, keep it hidden— if you are going to be elected and and why would you need to hide anything from anybody? That's a great question. That's one of the questions actually that led me away from
1: Calvinism hmm. is Mark, Mark chapter four, and Matthew thirteen, these passages where Jesus is clearly explaining that he spoke to the Jewish people in parables, lest they see, hear, understand, and turn so as to be healed. In other words, it's a part of God's strategic plan to keep the identity of Christ secret until he accomplishes his purpose. That's why you see several times throughout the Gospels where he says, "Don't tell anybody who I am yet. It's not the right, right. time, and to keep keep things quiet." Um, this is referred to by some theologians as the messianic secret or uh, concept of judicial hardening, where you're blinding somebody for the truth for a time in order to accomplish a purpose through their their even sometimes sinful behavior. So Israel, for example, had grown hardened and calloused in their rebellion and God is using them in their rebellion to bring about the crucifixion and thus you know salvation for the world. And so the Jewish audience may say, well, why are we to blame then? If, if God is using us in our rebellion to bring about the crucifixion, then why are we to blame for his righteousness coming through our unrighteousness? And you can see this interlocutor, as they call them, this objector in, in Romans chapter 3, and again repeated in Romans 9. And the Calvinist mistakenly takes that context out of context. And instead of the Jewish uh, objector, they insert an Armenian in his place, and they say this: the objector is really objecting to Calvinism. He's rejecting to uh, to this concept and idea that God is is uh, reprobating people, and that's not what Paul is addressing. He's a, he's dealing with the Jewish objection of God using people because they're already rebellious, freely. And he's using them in their rebellion to bring about a good purpose through their rebellion, that somehow that's supposed to support a Calvinistic dogma, and it just simply does not.
0: Mm hmm. Leighton, I'm trying to think of the verse right now where what the address is, but the verse is the one who comes to me, I will in no way reject. You know,
1: Romans, uh, excuse me, that's John chapter six. Of course, yes, yes. yes.
0: Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, when I also think of Romans uh, 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Uh, because you hear the message, that doesn't necessarily mean you have made a decision about it, applied it in your life, and become born again.
1: Yeah, we're, we're responsible for what we hear, right. see, and understand. And it's exactly what Romans 1 says, is because they clearly saw and understood the attributes and the goodness of God, that they are held accountable, um, and that, that all of us are held accountable for what we do. Um, It's the Calvinistic worldview that ultimately teaches that because of the nature we're born with and the fallen sinful condition that we're born in, that we can't understand and accept it because of the spiritual condition we're born into. Uh, I just don't find that that's taught in Scripture. Now, we agree with Calvinists that that people are depraved and sinful, but where we would disagree with the Calvinists is to say, therefore, because we're sinful and depraved, we can't confess that fact in light of the gospel— um, we would say no. You, you, yes, you're sinful. You're depraved, but you still can confess. You can humbly confess your your depravity in light of the gospel rev- revelation, and you're responsible to do that. And if you refuse to do that, that's your own fault. It's not because God didn't pick you before you were born. It's not because God didn't regenerate you yet. Uh, none of those excuses can be uh, given, in my estimation. Whereas on Calvinism. Uh, I know Calvinists wouldn't want to say that unbelievers have that excuse, but their doctrine certainly implies that that they they could legitimately say, "Well, I wasn't picked, uh, you know, I wasn't regenerated. And no wonder I rejected the Bible because God rejected me before I was ever born," and that's just not a biblical a biblical concept, as far as I can tell.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Leighton, what is the state of man?
1: Well, mankind is born into a, outside the garden, let's put it that way, okay. because of the uh, sin of Adam and Eve, we were cast out. And therefore we are at enmity with God, as one may say. Mm-hmm. We are distant from him, we are far apart from him. This is what the the concept of spiritual deadness really is a concept of being far, like the prodigal son was said to be lost, but now he's found, he was dead, and now he's alive. Mm-hmm. Well, he wasn't literally a corpse, but he was in a far country. He was distant from his his make, his make father. And in the same way, we, we are distant from God and we need to be reconciled. We need to be brought near. We need to be uh, brought back into right relationship with him. And how does that happen? By grace through faith. It's through putting our trust in Christ by by coming to him in light of the, the, the appeal of the gospel that we are saved. And so the state of man, we agree with what our Calvinistic brothers and sisters say with regard to how depraved men are. But we di- we disagree where where we think Calvinists go so f- too far is to say that because we're dead in sin, therefore we can't respond until he makes us alive first. Mm-hmm. And this is where we we think the Calvinists have over over uh, literalized the analogy of deadness to mean corpse like dead. You can't respond positively at all, and that's just never the way the word is used. We see the church in Sardis, for example. They they said you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and renew what remain remains. Uh, like I said, the prodigal son was said to be dead, uh, even though he was moving and acting and doing all kinds of things. Uh, even Ephesians one says they were walking in disobedience and doing bad things as dead men. Well, it means that they're separated due to rebellion. And and just like Paul said, um, when you be when you become a Christian, you should be dead to sin. Now I wish being dead to sin meant that we can't sin anymore. But I think you and I both know, Bill, you know, unfortunately, we still do struggle with sin, because being dead to something doesn't mean you can't do it anymore. So true. Uh, It it means you're to separate yourself from that thing. Just like we were once separated from God, now we're to separate ourselves from sin because we are in Christ.
0: Mm -hmm. Dr. Leighton Flowers is my guest. We're talking about Calvinism today, which also uh, talks about election, of course. So if you have a question or comment... I'd love to hear it, and I can uh, ask your question on your behalf. Text it to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. And after a short break, I'll be back with Dr. Leighton Flowers. If you just jumped in your car and tuned into Faith Radio, I'm so glad you did that. We're talking to Dr. Layton Flowers. Leighton, did you ever get bullied with your name? That's kind of a interesting name. And when you put the doctor in front of it, it's a lot cooler. But, you know, what about as a kid? Did you get a little bit of uh, teasing?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, every every name can figure out a way to uh, to, to tease it. So, you know, yeah. yeah. So the last name Flowers is something that uh, that, you know, as a boy you can get teased with. But I would always, you know, point out that you know, I smell good, and girls love me. So,
0: hey, <laughs> I love it. Better name those into that. <laughs> All right, a little bit of clean up aisle Al Five. A listener was said, I'm not sure I can agree that God decreed that we would be born in sin. Isn't that due to Adam's decision as federal head of the human race? Um, and also, what's your take on John
1: 17:9? Yeah, I mean, I, I, when I said that we're we're born, uh, you know, in, outside the garden, doesn't mean that we're necessarily guilty for what Adam and Eve did. Uh, there's differing uh, views from different theologians on what that entails. I think we're guilty for our own sin, mm-hmm. um, and and sometimes a misreading of Romans 5, uh, especially Augustine's influence and in his misreading of the, the the translation, Latin translation, has caused many theologians to kind of follow that line of thinking. But I think there's many passages throughout Scripture that teach that we're not held accountable for our parents' sin, um, or we're not guilty because of their sin, but we can still have the consequences. So if if my parents did something really bad, I can have consequences as their child, but not necessarily be guilty for what they did. In the same way, when Adam and Eve sinned, we were all born outside the garden. We were born outside of fellowship with him with a propensity to sin, an environment inclined towards sin, and all the results of the fall that, that the book of Genesis mentioned. And so um, I really highly recommend a work by uh, Dr. Adam Harwood, Called the spiritual condition of infants. Uh, it is a very thorough biblical uh, defense of this concept and idea, uh, kind of defending against the Augustinian uh, position on original guilt and this concept and idea that we we're born guilty because of what Adam did versus uh, being born, yes, uh, outside the garden with the impact and effects of sin, but not, not held accountable for uh, our parents wrongdoings.
0: Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned, there is a, you know, the sad state of an affair when a, a baby is born addicted to a drug like crack or something.
1: Yeah, they're called crack babies yeah. in the emergency rooms. Yeah, and of course, a crack baby is going to be obviously um, have consequences and yeah. horrible, bad consequences, but they're not, they're not guilty for what their parents did, but they are affected greatly by what their parents did.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Leighton, what about is there a text in Scripture that uh, you could mention that could support the Calvinistic view? Well, of
1: course. You know, that uh, at first reading Romans 9, I read Romans 9 uh, for years thinking it supported a Calvinistic reading. The the passage you already mentioned earlier in, Ro- in Ephesians chapter 1 mm-hmm. about being chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Uh, taken in the context of this discussion, and with the Calvinistic lenses on, you can make any verse sound like it supports your particular doctrine um and so that's why there's a lot of times there's the volleying of proof texts you know one side will say, well John three sixteen and the other side will say roman's nine, and the other side you know uh you know first Timothy two and the other side back and forth and uh and that's not really helpful what what's better is to go through each of the passages and and, and understand what they mean in their context and understand that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Uh, if, if it says one place that God desires the salvation of all people, and somewhere else it seems to suggest that God doesn't desire the salvation of certain people, then look at the context, and you may learn that the reason it's coming across of God's wrath and judgment over these people is because they have grown hardened and calloused, and God's given them over to their their depraved and rebellious mm-hmm. uh, hearts. And, and it's not because of some condition they were born into that they had no control over. It was their own choice and their own doing, and this is a consequence of it. So you have to look at each verse in its context and understand how it comports with the rest of Scripture.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Layton Flowers is my guest. Layton, uh, listener said, these discussions can make it sound difficult and complicated to be a believer. Can I just hold fast to John 3.16? <laughs> well, sure. Um, you know, I, I, would, I would warn
1: listeners, though, not to be... Um, lazy when it comes to theology and understand why we believe what we believe. I I understand that some people are not going to be theology geeks like I am. I love studying theology, and I love diving deep into some of the philosophical questions, and not everyone's geared that way. My wife is not geared that way. Um, She is a psychologist, a therapist, and uh, does marriage therapy and those kinds of things, and she, she really gets into those kinds of discussions, but she doesn't really get into the lot deeper theology. But she does take the scripture very seriously, and she knows why it's important to believe what we believe and why we believe it. And so these these discussions can't be ignored because, uh, you know, bad philosophy uh, tends to to grow out of apathy, um, bad theology. Same way, if if we're not willing to confront bad theology when it raises up within the church then it's going to begin to take over and and become predominant and that's one of the reasons I think we have to be willing to stand up and say this is not something we believe the bible is really teaching here this is a divergence from uh what what we understand the, the text to be saying and so we're trying to be good Bereans uh, as uh, paul commanded and told us to be you know we we go to the word we study it well uh and and understand why we believe what we believe and then teach it rightly
0: mm mm-hmm. Leighton, are there people that are truly irresistibly brought to Christ apart from themselves?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know um, exactly where, where that person's coming from on the question. Well, um, let me, I, let me continue
0: think, a little bit. In yeah. my own story, it's often been clear to me that it is God who brought me and kept me close to him because the people and circumstances in my life should not have resulted in my salvation. While my salvation may have not have been determined, the allure of God and his continual prodding have surely been something outside of myself. In this sense, sure. in my ability to reject him, hasn't he brought me to himself?
1: Yeah, and this is where I would just push back on the irresistibility part. Um, it's almost like if, if I were at an award ceremony and I was thanking my wife, who helped me all along the way, and I literally said, I, you know, I could not have done this without her. And that's true. I I needed her every step of the way. She she guided and helped and 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 brought me through everything that I went through. I could not have done it without her. Literally doesn't mean that she caused me to do it or that I could not have done it otherwise. Or you know, or or in other words, I could not have um, you know obviously needed her help and guidance. I couldn't have done it without her. But that doesn't mean she's irresistibly causing me to do it. That's the difference. And so we Mm. can give God all the credit and all the glory for. His grace in, in keeping and helping us to continue in the faith and helping us to to grow and to come to Him in the first place, because He's the initiator. We're responders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're not arguing that we're the ones who come to God on our own or that we persevere on our own and it's all by our own, you know, all-powerful free will. No, of course not. Um, we, we are aided by grace and His love for us and the Scripture is very clear about this. But you can also resist the Holy Spirit. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can uh, you can continue to push Him away. And eventually, the Bible warns us that you'll grow hardened and calloused, and eventually cut off, and that God can give you over to your your reprobate, defiled mind. the The problem is we're not born that way, which is what the implications of the Calvinistic system ultimately entails is that you're born a reprobate. You're born already in a hardened, corpse-like condition where you will always hate the things of God. That's not my experience with young children. I did youth ministry for many years prior uh, to the work that I'm doing now, and and my, my experience is that youth are very moldable. They're very open. Their hearts typically aren't real hardened to the truth when you teach them plainly. One of the reasons I think God, you know, Jesus said that you must become like this child, humble yourself like this child to enter the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven is made up of such as these, referring to children. Well, what's the difference between a child and an adult? Children are typically moldable. They're open. They're able to to be taught. Um, And that's exactly what the Bible calls us to, is to be teachable, to be moldable, not to grow hardened and calloused, which is a condition that you can grow into if you choose to suppress the truth. But it's not a condition that you're naturally just born with by sovereign decree that you can't help like the Calvinistic system entails.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Leighton, I love the fact that uh, your illustration was you at an award show winning an award. I I never, I'm never at an award show winning an award. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I can't think of an example of where I was either. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, just off the top of my head, yeah. just Trying to trying to you know give an example of how you can give full credit uh, for course. the aid of someone else well, besides yourself. Yeah, but Dr. but not assume irresistibility. Uh-huh.
0: Dr. Leighton Flowers is my guest. We're talking about Calvinism. A listener, I was wondering if you could go into depth about the history of Calvinism. One of the most compelling arguments I've heard against Calvinism is the history of how it developed and its rejection by the oldest denomination of Christianity, like Eastern Orthodoxy. Right.
1: Yeah, Eastern Orthodoxy This, this has a lot of other controversies and issues within Eastern Orthodoxy, but the, interestingly enough, uh, it's not. this is not a debate among uh, Eastern Orthodox. Um, they, they all believe more like we do. They do. They... Uh, believe in human responsibility and free will, and so, um, and and the fact is, the first 400 years of the Christian Church, um, none of them support this concept that we're born uh, guilty and thus incapable of responding positively to the gospel. Uh, no, nobody's on record within the church uh, teachings until Augustine. Uh, And even Augustine's earliest writings actually supported free will. In fact, I quote Augustine quite regularly to support and defend free will from his earlier writings. It's only later in his life uh, that he begins to kind of shift during his debate with Pelagius that he becomes more and more uh, deterministic in his philosophy, Um, which, by the way, if people don't know this about Augustine, he formerly, before becoming Christian, before he was converted into Christianity, he was a, a Manichaean Gnostic. Um, And Manichaeans are known to be philosophical fatalists or determinists. Um, And so many scholars, and not just us, but many scholars, including some even Calvinist scholars, recognize that Augustine was really the first within the church writings to teach a more deterministic or a a Calvinistic, if you will. That's obviously anachronistic because Calvin didn't come along until uh, (laughs) many, many uh, years later. But uh, Augustine's really the first to teach kind of a predestinarian a deterministic philosophy and interpret passages like Romans 9 and others in a more deterministic fashion.
0: Mm-hmm. Here's a question. Do Calvinists miss that God can know the future without causing the future?
1: It seems like that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it seems to be uh, what w- w- my friend and uh, someone I I greatly admire is a great uh, Arminian or non-Calvinistic philosopher is Dr. William Lane Craig, who's also a a great theologian. Mm -hmm. Um, He talks about the conflation of certainty versus necessity. Just because something is certainly known does, it not, does not mean it's necessitated by the knower. In other words, it's not determined by the one who knows it. And so God can know something with certainty without being the one who determines that thing. Mm. And that is, that is a difficult philosophical concept, I admit it. Uh, back, back in the 6th century, the Consolation of Philosophy was written by Boethius, and C.S. Lewis expounds upon it in his own work in mid-Christianity and other places where it really gets into this concept of God's knowledge. How does omniscience work? Uh, how can we be free if God knows what? If God knows perfectly what I'm going to do tomorrow, how can I be free? Um, and these 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 ideas, philosophical concepts, can lead people down a lot of little rabbit trails. But I think it's important not to uh, undermine the Word of God and human responsibility and the love of God for all people based upon these philo-
0: philosophical speculations. Mm-hmm. Um, question, Layton. I, I've always questioned this election. It has made me feel and question whether I'm really saved or not. When my sins feel unforgivable, I've had to remember John 3.16. I think God wants to save all, and he has chosen us all. Aren't we the ones who don't choose him? Yeah, and this is where I would just point point
1: people to the scriptures and say, we do believe in the doctrine of election. The, the, The Bible teaches election. But what what does the Bible teach about election? That's the debate. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm real careful to tell people, don't just say, hey, we don't believe in election or we don't believe in predestination, because those are biblical truths. It's what do you believe about election? What do you believe about predestination? Well, in the scriptures, if you go to, back to the very beginning in the Old Testament, he says to Abraham, I've chosen you. That's election. But yeah. what did he choose him for? He chose him for service. And he chose them not to the neglect of the other nations of the world. He says, I've chosen you to be a blessing to all the families of the earth in Genesis 12, 3. So election, biblical election, is about God choosing certain nations and certain individuals to be a blessing to all other nations and other individuals. It's not choosing certain people to the neglect of everyone else, as if he's, you know, picking people as, you know, playing favorites. That's not what biblical election is all about.
0: Mm-hmm. Dr. Leighton Flowers is my guest. We are continuing our discussion on uh, Calvinism, and we'll take a short break and be right back. If you have a question, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter... Thank you so much becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with Dr. Leighton Flowers, and I'm going to start talking faster because I still have a lot of questions that are coming in, and I want to try to get to all of them, so... <laughs> Uh, late in uh, Psalm one five. surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of passages that use hyperbole and talking about how people can be sinful from their youth or, you know, in rebellion. Again, that, there's, there's nothing controversial about that. The, the controversy, it would be saying, well, uh, because I was sinful from birth, therefore I couldn't confess my sin from birth, unless God unilaterally picked me and causes me you know, through some irresistible grace, that's the controversy. So when when Calvinists throw out verses that talk about how sinful we are, I just look at them and say, yeah, we we agree with those verses. We just don't believe that sin causes you to be incapable of responding to God's message of reconciliation from that sin.
0: Mm-hmm. We're talking to uh, Dr. Leighton Flowers about Calvinism. So here's a question I'd love for you to address. It's not a question. It's a verse. But I read John seventeen nine and it says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours.
1: Yeah, and he, there, here he's playing, praying specifically for the 12. And we know this because he even goes on to point out, except for Judas, you know, obviously, um, who, who betrayed him. But then he goes on to say uh, in, in verse 17, uh, excuse me, verse 20, I'm not asking on behalf of these, speaking of his apostles, of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, so that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So in other words, yes, he, he starts specifically praying for his apostles and not the world, but then he goes on to pray for the world. And so um, it, you it just again, it just read the context, read, keep reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, when people are, are pulling verses out of their context, you just you just look back and say, well, will keep reading." I and mean, oh, sure. he goes on to pray. He goes on to pray for the world uh, later in that same prayer. Mm-hmm.
0: Leighton, do you try to resolve the Pharaoh hardened his heart, God hardened Pharaoh's heart conundrum?
1: Well, I, I think this is just simply an example of where God, in judgment, because of Pharaoh's sin, gives him over or blinds him in his rebellion, so as to accomplish a good purpose through him. Um, And so this is not a proof for Calvinism. This is a a proof really for what we believe regarding God's judgment for people who freely sin, not people who were decreed uh, to be born in a condition where they couldn't do anything but sin and rebel against God. Um, Pharaoh could have uh, uh, humbly uh, accepted God and followed him, but he chose not to, and he grew hardened and self-righteous, and to the point where God gave him over and used him in his rebellion, raised him up for the very purpose of displaying his power through his rebellion. And it's interesting that that with Pharaoh, he blinds him from seeing the truth that the plagues would reveal so as to demonstrate his power to all the false gods, you know the false Egyptian gods, to demonstrate, you know the true God is is more powerful than all their fake gods. And in the same way, he hardens Israel, ironically, in order to demonstrate his power through their rebellion. And so in the same way that God hardens Pharaoh in their already rebellious condition um, in order to bring about his purpose through Pharaoh, in the same way he hardens Israel to bring about the second Passover through the rebellion of Israel.
0: Mm-hmm. Leighton, how are people saved?
1: Uh, the Bible teaches that we can only be declared righteous by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So by putting our trust in the righteousness of Christ, um, and, and, and confessing your sins, as the Scripture says. Uh, Romans chapter 10, you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of Christ. Well, when you confess your, your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, and cleanse you from unrighteousness. So, put your trust in Christ to be saved.
0: Mm-hmm. And oh, what are they saved to?
1: Well, their saved to relationship with God and salvation is is being declared righteous, not be based upon your own merit or your own goodness, but upon the righteousness and the goodness of God. And so we're being brought back into the garden. I mean, if you read Genesis 3, they talk about the tree of life, that they may reach out and take it wow. and, and live it. for eternal life, yeah. it says. and So that's what salvation is all about, is mm-hmm. that, e- that eternal life that we all desire.
0: Mm-hmm. And Layton, what would you say is justification?
1: It's being declared righteous by God, not for your own merit or your own worth, but on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. Um, And I just have to point out that it's not, you're not earning your own righteousness by confessing that you're unrighteous. So let that kind of sink in. Just because you confess that you're unrighteous, you confess that you're sinful and you need someone's help, that doesn't make you righteous. God's not obligated to, to declare you righteous because you you humbly confess your sin and believe in Jesus. He chooses to do that. Just like the prodigal son, God, the, the father wasn't obligated to restore the son when he came home in his humiliation. Mm-hmm. He could have punished him. He right. could have rejected him. The fact that he chose to do that was 100% the grace of the father. And in the same way, when we come to, to God in in humility and and repentance you know throwing ourselves at his mercy he's not obligated because we came to him to do that he's choosing graciously to do that on the basis of the work of of Christ on the cross and so we we have to understand that just because we're responsible to humbly confess our sins doesn't mean that that obligates or causes God to save us god is choosing graciously to save those who humbly trust in him because he's gracious, and that alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Layton, uh, Dr. Leighton Flowers is my guest as we talk about Calvinism, if you're just joining the conversation. Uh, question, what practical implications does election, or there not being election, have on my daily walk with God?
1: Well, if you're talking about the Calvinistic version of election, that would be different than maybe the, what I believe is the biblical version of election. So let me assume that the 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 caller there is is talking about Calvinistic election, um, and I can only give you my testimony as to how it affected me when I used to believe Calvinism. It affected me sometimes so even maybe subconsciously in the sense that sometimes when I when I was falling into sin and temptation, you know, I'd been taught that everything was decreed by God, even my sin, and so when I was struggling with temptations and other things. Um, I I was being told by my Calvinistic mentors that that was because God's keeping me humble. And when you get involved in addictions and other sinful struggles, there's nothing worse for an addict than to find a very good excuse for their addiction, a a justification for what they're doing, And, and being able to say, well, God decreed this, or God somehow sovereignly brought this to pass in my life for his own good, nonetheless, is really something that can be quite detrimental to finding true healing and freedom. From those kinds of addictions, recognizing that actually, when I when I'm falling into sin, I'm I'm stepping out of God's sovereign will. Um, I'm walking away from His desires and what He's called me to, and therefore I can I can grow further and further away from Him and hardened in my sin if I continue down that path.
0: Hmm. Leighton, let me ask you this: Did your change of mind about Calvinism change your evangelistic outlook or techniques? Calvinists often get accused of not sharing the gospel.
1: Well, one of the things I try to do is to be fair to Calvinists on this point, because when I was a Calvinist, I was evangelistic. I I went on mission trips as a Calvinist. And I know John Piper, for example, is one of the most missionary-minded pastors I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. He's very, uh, very much uh, pro-evangelism. And so sometimes people wrongly accuse Calvinists of being anti-evangelistic because philosophically maybe it doesn't make sense to them well if God's elected everyone then why do we need to share the gospel um, and these kinds of things and and they have spilled a lot of ink explaining philosophically how that works but um, but I, I would just push back and say I think Calvinists can maybe be inconsistent in their Calvinism and in, in, in saying that yes you're still you still need the urgency of preaching the gospel is still necessary um, the problem is is that even though there are people like John Piper and other good Calvinists who are trying to encourage the next generation of Calvinists to continue to be evangelistic, my fear is that history will repeat itself. Um, And even some Calvinists predict that this will happen, is that Calvinism tends to resurge, grow into popularity, and then eventually it eats its own, and it it, it becomes hyper- in its, uh, in its methodology to where more and more people become less and less evangelistic because of the philosophical outflow of the system itself, and it ends up dying back out. And I always push back to my Calvinist friends and say, well, either it's dying back out because it's not a tenable and realistic way of living life, or or God ordained it to, to die back out, and it, mm-hmm. that doesn't make much sense either. And so I just push back and say, I think a, a biblical uh, a biblical soteriology is going to push people to the urgency of spreading the, the news of Jesus Christ, um, whereas Calvinism tends to it can deplete that urgency because you kind of figure, well, if they're elect, they're going to be saved regardless of how faithful I am in evangelism.
0: Mm-hmm. And a listener was uh, curious about your denomination. Uh, you are uh, a Baptist, am I correct? Yes, Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist. I work for mm-hmm.
1: yeah, Texas Baptist, specifically uh, here in Texas.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been a very fast hour, Layton, and thank you so much for responding to me and being willing to do the show. I'd love to have you on again because I we still have questions pouring in and there's not enough time left. So
1: I'd be glad to come back anytime.
0: Oh, I'd love hearing that. Thank you very much. Dr. Layton Flowers has been my guest, and you can reach him at soteriology101.com and that's his website if you want to go learn more about him. That's our show for today. Thank you uh, again and again for uh, spending time with me. If you missed any of the show, I know the podcast will help because there's lots of good stuff on there. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. Have a great night, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.